Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. We have a new guest today. My senses are, uh, I can tell you he's one of us, but I think he's going to be a friend of the podcast for some time to come. Wasn't long ago, I was on a webinar call, and um, he was kind of chatting and reflecting on some things. And I don't know if you just ever get this uh, moment where you're like, that guy's got some good energy going on. Whatever, what, whatever's bottled in that body, I want to, I want to get to know. And so, um, I kind of did a little bit of research on him. His work is amazing. Wait until you hear uh, who he's worked with in the world. Um, and then he's got this beautiful book called The Keepers of Color, and we're going to chat a bit uh, about that. So, with that being said, my new friend John Morrow is joining us. John, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Asher. My pleasure. I'm really, I'm. Uh, super honored to be here and I love just your candidness and your honesty and being willing to follow the energy that's a way I navigate through life too I'm like I don't know what's going on there but there's something <laughs> I want to be I want to be around that so I'm glad that I uh, emanate that same energy that I seek yes yes beautiful well um, that is true so you know I find your work I, I read the back of this book or maybe the front color cover and it's like you do things with Jason Mraz, Maroon 5. Oh, by the way, the Dalai Lama. Like, mm. when you start and introduce yourself and your work in the world, you know, where do you begin? Yeah, I, great question. I'm, I mean, I'm really beginning now to almost learn how to market myself <laughs> in a way where uh, I've been a seeker my whole mm -hmm. life. That's where you and I kind of met was in the women's in a living school, yeah. which is a, uh, a school of, yeah, you know, cont the contemplative traditions and the, 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 the mystic, the mystic traditions. And so I've never really overly identified with the work that I've done or the accolades or the resume. Um, it's more like, what is life made of? What is the substance, you know? So mm. I always start kind of at the beginning where you start a story for me at the beginning. <laughs> and that was, I grew up in Vermont and I loved jumping in lakes and rivers and looking under, you know, logs and rocks and trying to find what made life tick. Why, what, how was life so brimming and filled with, filled with whatever animated it. And so nature was my first God. And so mm. that's where I start is I could, I realized that I could probably um, simply study it hmm. as a way to both study art and craftsmanship and the maker's hand and where I was made and where life was made. Um, very Franciscan of you. Very Franciscan, but I never, <laughs> I, I never, you know, again, I never knew that until probably uh, more recently. You yeah. know, I never sort of connected those dots. It all was just the same for me. Yeah. But finding the different traditions. Uh, across the globe and seeing that they're all pointing to that same proverbial moon. And so my art at best tries to do that as well. Anything I create tries to point um, the attention of the viewer or the reader back to that same thing. So um, I, I went to art school and loved it. And I found that art school was my, uh, I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is in Baltimore. And it was this it went deep in the city. I grew up in Vermont. And then so I went from like country mouse to city mouse real quick. <laughs> and there was this amazing uh, confluence of people from all different backgrounds and races and religions and, you know, ethnicities and diversities, but we all had art in common. So mm. there was this underlying respect 
And something about that, um, I had never kind of been one of the quote unquote cool kids. I was always on the, you know, the edge of the inside as Richard Rohr <laughs> yeah. likes to say, yeah. but I never felt like I fit in until suddenly I didn't have to fit in anymore. It was mm. simply just by being myself, I was accepted and had a sense of belonging. And so I've been looking more and more for where that is. And nature was certainly the place, art school is the second one. And then finding people who were seeking personal transformation and growth and mysticism and spirituality, I've also felt uh, a kinship and a brotherhood. And then certainly through the living school that we just did, felt connected to this lineage and this ancestry of seekers and thinkers and philosophers and poets all trying to sense make hmm. existence. That's and good. so, um, yeah, after art school, I, uh, I've always loved live music and singer songwriters. And so I started and I, I, was, an, I was a trained illustrator. So we were always taught to, to convert text into imagery. Hmm. So the troubadours and the poets and the songwriters filled my mind and my mind's eye with vivid imagery. Yeah. And I followed that and started doing merchandise and poster designs. And I felt like I was designing as a fan for the fans hmm. and found out that they were the, the merch was selling really well and resonating with people and um, had my little pop art. You know, I, I like to say that I kind of do three kinds of art. I do pop art, folk art, and fine art. <laughs> and they all have different, um, different, uh, there's just different forms of expression for me, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm really interested in what sort of that pop art hmm. is for people What and, and trying to distill the universal into, hmm. into the personal. And so uh, I, I, I love um, iconography mm -hmm. and like hieroglyphs and symbols that are a language themselves where um, you can, you know, as simple as it is when you go to a, an airport, an international airport, you can see the sign for the taxis or the bathroom or the escalator and know what that is yeah. without needing to be able to read the word. Yeah. And so they say an image speaks a thousand words. So, you know, art has always been my first language mm -hmm. and to study it as a communication to the soul really mm. you know like your mind your mind sees one thing and your eye sees another and your heart and your in your history um sees a different thing so i love playing with that as a form of perception mm. and as a way of bringing awareness to the viewer love it so that's it. that's that's there's that's a where bio we can start. there's where we can yeah. start so just hearing you reflect on art um and being a seeker where do the roads of art and metaphor run for you are, are they, and you talk about kind of having this thing for icons, uh, are they the same? Are they speaking the same language in different languages, saying the same thing in different languages? Hold my hand on, on your understanding yeah. of art and metaphor. Um, I haven't, again, Sometimes I feel bad when I go on these things because I'm hardly an expert. I'm still like, a, That's I, right. I want to be like, we I want to be a lifelong kindergartner, you know? <laughs> so I haven't, I, I didn't really come through academia for better or worse. There's probably, yeah. so I don't have to necessarily, un, I'm a, I'm a, I, I love kind of throwing my hat into those intellectual conversations and philosophical conversations, but I don't have, I'm not like a statistician. Or I'm there with of, you, brother. I'm an yeah. amateur. So uh, what I would say is, um, there's this great book that I, uh, it's a dense book. It's not for everyone, but it was, it's called the alphabet and the goddess. And it's, it talks about how there are cultures that 
originally were image-based. So again, Egypt is one of them where you had hieroglyphs. And these are normally predominantly like matriarchal cultures, cultures that worship the goddess. And they spoke about how an image is more naturally holistic than a word. So a word, a noun, like a tree, it's like a, a tree is a thing. It sort of separates. It's, it's this, individuals it's not that. And exactly, yeah. right? But if you saw an image of a tree, um, you would see naturally its relationship to the sky, to the mm. earth, to the mountains behind it. You would see what kind of tree it is, right? Where if you had to describe a tree, it's a pine tree, it's pointy. If someone didn't know what a pine tree was, you'd have to kind of describe it in a million words to sort of bring that image to their mind. Whereas an image itself says exactly what that is. So there's something about that phenomenon that I love to seek out in metaphors mm. where I believe we've been certainly saturated by words and images in this culture, but to begin to create a language that's accessible, that can speak to, um, that can speak to, yeah, the, uh, I, I love the idea of like literal metaphors, mm -hmm. right? So um, what does being deeply rooted look like? How can a sort of someone who has, you know, a trunk of the tree or being rooted, what does that mean to sort of stand grounded in your place and to sort of have a sense of place or, you know, being, being connected to the earth yeah. or spreading your arms open and that your hand becomes a branch with a tree. I'm using mm -hmm. a lot of tree metaphors here, but um, you know, most recently I did an image that's been getting a lot of attention where I've been working with a, um, a Nigerian poet and philosopher named Bayo Komalafe, who I, whose work really inspires me. And he does a lot of work around the slave trade and the slave ships. And, and mm -hmm. um, uh, I did this image of a heart, an anatomical heart floating in the, sea in the sort of transatlantic sea and inside of it is a cross section and there's all of these um, slaves as if they were in the bowels of a, mm. of a slave boat mm. and something about that our own hearts carry that all of us epigenetically carry that trauma within mm. us so an image speaks to that whereas if i were i, I just described it on a podcast you get it instantly if you yeah. see that image yeah. right yeah. Uh, whereas me speaking about it just takes a lot longer so there's something uh, about metaphors that bridge mm -hmm. communication, that bridge, you know, synaptic nerves and bridge cultures and bridge meaning in a way that uh, is, I mean, I, I wish I could, I've read some really beautiful things on metaphors, but mm -hmm. they do something specifically where they're working on the uh, literal level as well as the sort of uh, subconscious level. Yeah. And so for me, um, the deeper you can go, the broader you can go, uh, the better. Yeah. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. I think Father Rohr says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And that all metaphors limp, you know, which yes. is a which is a metaphor about metaphors. <laughs> exactly. Or as I like to ask, what's the metaphor? <laughs> yes. Um, see, that's the kind of energy that I was getting from you. Um, and and I and I have to ask, working for or with Dalai, the Dalai Lama? When, yeah. was, when was this? Yeah, so I had a the, really the privilege and the honor. Um, I had a friend who does, she does PR for a lot of the health and wellness, a lot of health and wellness companies. And so she's based in Los Angeles. Her name is Katie Sager, and she works for a company called Harmonica. And she, 
as she does, she landed this. The, she landed the the marketing for the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday, the event. He was having a kind of a global tour birthday party mm -hmm. for his 80th birthday. He was going like around you do. different countries, yeah, like, like, you do. like you do. And it happened to be in Los Angeles. The U.S. version happened to be in Anaheim. And so she was working with another company, but doing the PR and the marketing for that event itself. And so she asked me, she was like, would you like to do, we have a green room here with the celebrities and the guests and the speakers and the Dalai Lama. Would you like to do a portrait of him for the green room? And I was like, awesome. Of course. Yes. I said it yes immediately. And I don't know if she had like in mind, you mm -hmm. know, a, um, a little watercolor sketch or a charcoal <laughs> doodle or something, but I was like, you know, I really was taken by the task and, uh, you know, thought to myself, contemplated mm -hmm. what do you do for the Dalai Lama because he does he even want a portrait of himself mm -hmm, right. you know like he's he's not he's the he's antithesis a, bit, he's a of, bit detached exactly <laughs> he's like the anti, 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 antithesis of egocentric so I realized I wanted to do a portrait of his prayer for the world and I've known enough about him and, and um, really admired him as someone who was a fierce stand for compassion and also I mean I, I actually call Richard Rohr, the Dalai Lama of Christianity, you know, because I think <laughs> yeah. the Dalai Lama has done that to Buddhism. He's not actually advocating Buddhism as much as what Buddhism teaches, yeah. which is kindness and compassion. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, he's not yeah. trying to convert anybody into that. He's like saying, this is what I learned and I can use this as a metaphor for my teachings. Yeah, that's good. And so, you know, and I even said, I even know he really wants to see the unification of all religions. So I took that put that in sort of this little halo. I, I've studied Tibetan and Buddhist art before. So I, what are called uh, tankas. There are these beautiful landscapes, usually with deities mm. um, in them. And so I created a kind of a, you know, I would say a mix up, mash up modern tanka portrait of the Dalai Lama. And it's a history of Buddhism about the four noble truths and the eightfold path, all kind of wrapped up around his prayer um in his praying hands and so and i even have he's got his you know his glasses on and in the lenses of the glasses are the sort of buddha's eyes like looking back at him or looking through his own eyes so wow. there's a ton of symbolism in there and um so i did that i did this piece it took me about 400 hours 300 400 hours it was a real you know i, I just went for it and i feel like it's one of the yeah one of the standout probably my career highlight at this point just wow. because of the amount of time and energy and all that went into it it combined my love of art and my love of seeking and spirituality into one thing and that felt like a real um, intersection of those yeah. skills and interests of mine and i actually did not get to give to him at the at that his birthday event but about a year almost a year later he was speaking at a women's conference um a compassionate women's leaders conference and I got the call like the night before my friend, the same friend, she was like, Hey, we just got an okay. Would you like to come give it to him tomorrow morning? And I was wow. like, okay, let me, <laughs> and, um, you know, got ready in a dime and, uh, went and got to present it to him. And it was this wonderful moment. And really, I would say probably I had 20 to 30 seconds of his time, yeah. you know, yeah. of really there, but he gave you his everything. He was so fully present and he didn't seem to have a sense of like, he was the Dalai Lama. He was just being so buoyantly himself mm -hmm. where he wasn't there. He was both, I described him as a little child, a little boy and a grandfather and a teacher all in one, mm -hmm. you know? And he really um, did not carry himself or the weight of um, being exiled or the weight of being, um, you know, of all the insanity in the world, mm -hmm. you know, or the things that he was up against. Mm -hmm. He just carried his mission 
so um, buoyantly and it was inspiring. I just, I, in that little transmission, we bowed heads, we touched hands. And in that transmission, I saw that inner peace was possible and could be embodied. And he did it like flawlessly. Wow. And in that brief exchange, like it, it, it like stitched a new hmm. um, reference point in my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mirrored that for you. Um, beautiful description, by the way, childlike mixed with an elder, yeah. uh, a law, lifelong learner turned teacher. Like what a beautiful thing for us all to shoot for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, all right. Well, I want to get into this because, uh, this was my intro to you and, um, yeah. I've found it to be really useful just as I feel like I'm at a crossroads in life and kind of taking mm -hmm. some new turns. How, how did this, the keepers of the color come to you? Where, when did this, what is it? Where did it come from? How's it here? Let it rip. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so I, there's a, yeah, there's a sort of a lot, there's a larger backstory, but I'll just, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. That's what we're here for. I was leaving a spiritual group that I had been part of for about six or seven years. Um, there was sort of an instant, uh, there was a moment, there was sort of a, um, what do you call it? An incident or a, uh, something happened where I just realized I could no longer follow the leader uh, and still be in my own integrity. There was mm -hmm. just something that, that I could no longer do. So it was a real, in the community, it was a real split. Yep. Some people stayed, some people left. And we're still sort of feeling the ripples of that, but um, you know, there's friendships have remained, friendships have you know strayed, um, but it was a defining moment. And so I needed to find my own sense of spirituality again. I was sort of outsourcing it to this one teacher mm. and leader, and realized I needed no more mediators between me and God, mm. and uh, or me and me. And so what I did was, you know, I I just sort of stopped and I just said, let's see what sort of comes in. And so the, the work of Carl Jung came yep. in to me yep. and a lot of Taoist work. And I started you know, rereading the Tao Te Ching and Zen philosophy. And then Richard Rohr's work mm -hmm. all came to me at mm -hmm. the same time. But also what came back was just my sense of color, which I've always loved as an artist and my sense of childhood wonder. Mm -hmm. I had been so taking everything so seriously that I forgot my little my own buoyancy and my own playfulness. And I needed that back. So rather than go into this dark, depressing, existential, you know, melancholy mm -hmm. or despair, I was filled with like a lightness and this like, okay, there's a new beginning. Let's start out. This is great. You love this. I was reminded of my own resilience, but it came in a form of cheerfulness and joy and yeah. color. And so uh, I had a, I wrote this, I was writing these little children's books and I wrote this one and I had a friend who was a publisher uh, for like more like a, a spiritual division of Simon and Schuster. And I, uh, I had another friend who was going to visit her for a weekend and I sent her my little children's book manuscripts and, you know, a, like a one page illustration sample. And she was like, I love this, but we don't do a children's book, you know, but I really love your art. And so this is several years ago when the, the adult coloring book was kind of all the rage and she was like, <laughs> I really love your art. So if you, if you could get me an adult coloring book proposal, I could get you a book deal tomorrow. 
And I was like, okay, like there, that's not how a lot of people get their books published. <laughs> you know, right. I know my, my, this was a, this was a very serendipitous moment. Yeah. Yeah. So we went back and forth. It took a few edits and then I got a book proposal. And I, in the same way with the, with the Dalai Lama portrait, I realized, okay, if I'm going to do an adult coloring book, what does that look like? You know, what would that, what would my version of that be? And I wanted to handhold uh, the readers and the participants through their own inner world, you know, through navigating, um, whether that's the dark night of their soul or transitions. Um, I needed to find my way through it. And I wanted to make sure that I could do the same, whether that's um, leaving a relationship or a job or, um, you know, going from college to the real world or high school to college or, um, who, you know, COVID mm -hmm. <laughs> or mm -hmm. wildfires or displacement or disorientation of any, of any kind, that there is this, um, whether it's a still small voice or a spark or a, um, an internal presence within us that can guide the way. We each have that within us. And so I found out mine was this little colorful shaman Sherpa um, who named him, who said, him, who said his name was Color. And he kind of, he basically said, hi, I'm Color. I live inside of you. I've known you your whole life. Um, I am a pigment of your imagination. <laughs> um, and uh, I've been looking all over for you. I made such an embarrassing mistake. You promise you won't be mad? Okay, here it goes. I lost your dream your vision, your mission, your calling in life, which you knew somehow, some way you came here to do, I lost it. I got caught up in the business and the distraction of your life that you weren't really living. And when I look back up, it was gone. The good news is it's still inside of you. All we have to do is go looking for it. Mm. And so when I had that, I was like, so there's good. my book. So there's good. my book. <laughs> got it. And so I created this little journey and created these other keepers. I was real from the Jungian work. I was real into archetypes. Mm -hmm. So I created these other characters. There's honor. The keepers are archetypal allies and yep. they each um, hold a different color. So honor the badger is uh, the color purple. And he, he really, you know, he holds a lantern uh, into the darkness of your soul, a place you don't sort of want to go, but you know what's there anyways. There's Tuga the turtle, who is um, here to teach you patience and mm. uh, the slow and steady way. Hummingbird, Ruby, she's the color, keeper of the color red. And she's all about um, just the effervescence of life and the joy and the, just the brimming with vitality and springtime um, cheer. We have Oedo, who is the dolphin, the color blue, and all about listening to that call and learning to hear and learning to uh, tune yourself into the frequency of what wants to be brought forth through and as you. Um, Leo the lion, who is the brave you know, warrior archetype and wields the sword of discernment and just teaching you all about loyalty and leadership and being willing to um, yeah, stand on that proverbial battlefield. And the, the others as well, but you go through each color and you go through and you gain a little talisman and you answer questions as a workbook and a coloring book and a real, like make your own Carl Jung's red book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, but really it, 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 I hope at best it's a mirror to show you that you have a world within you yeah. and something wants to be brought and something like I'm calling that little spark, the seed of hope. And so, and I'm calling the bad, the bad guy in the book, the villain is, it's called the gray area. It's just this hazy nebulous fog of confusion. And um, 
you know, we're navigating our own doubts, our own sort of, uh, you know, dark sea journey as it's called. Yeah. And Color, this little cheerful Sherpa who's got hubris from the start saying, I made a mistake, you know, let's go, let's go out and do this. Guides you through, I feel like he can be, because he's so willing to call one out on himself, I feel like you can trust him. And so I wanted this little cheerleader and very relatable, um, you know, flawed Achilles healed um, character to speak to the inner child and everyone and say, hey, you're doing great. This, this is difficult. Yeah. Um, and there really is no hiding from it. So we might as well go through it. You ready? Let's go. Do you want this? Do you want to go see what you're made of inside and out? Here yeah. we go. So that's the premise for the journey and that's the premise for the book. And right now it's mostly self-contained by people buying that, but I, but I buying the book and doing it on their own, mm -hmm. but I hope to probably next year finally do an online course that, that guides people yeah. through it. I've, I've been beginning to do little one-offs. I've done some corporate events and some other things. And I just got asked by two, uh, a mother of, t of, a, of a teenager and her best friend to teach them during this alternative school for, for hmm. COVID. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited about it. I, and people finding it like you, it's one of those things where, I mean, it came out about two years ago, but suddenly now in this gray area mm -hmm. of the wildfires of COVID of not knowing what's next, it seems to kind of be finding its audience a yeah. little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I love that um, for those of us that quote unquote may have been seeking for some time now, you do grab a lot of stuff from young. You, 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 you get the hero's journey in there. You get um, the pattern of transformation. You know, you get the order, disorder, reorder, all of these things, these things that we've studied now for the last few years. Um, you, you bring it into focus for whoever's going through this. And it's, it does make the dark waters that you don't want to look in sometimes I'm not going to say more doable, but like there's some, you do get the seed of hope. There's some charm there. There's some, hey, uh, that thing inside of you that you know is there, it needs to be expressed. It's, it's fun. It's colorful. It's all of those things. And so. And, and I would say too, and it requires work. Not all seeds grow, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. like this requires your watering. This requiring, yeah. you know, sort of tending to your garden. There's those more garden. metaphors. There we go. Yeah, like that's the thing too, is I want to, there's hope and hope I think gets, hope's been getting a bad rap recently as almost a passive virtue as someone like waiting for something else mm -hmm. to save them yeah. or like hopeful one day. But I think, and I know Brene Brown and a bunch of other people have, have redefined it, but I do believe hope is a, it's a form of activism for me. It's a, mm -hmm. it's what keeps me going. It's a knowing that the sun will rise and knowing that whatever animates life is still out there, I can live participate you know in participation yeah. with that it's not i'm not passive i'm not a victim to something else and just hoping and praying it's a it's a form of yeah it's a form of dynamism hmm. beautiful well said what is wonder to you i feel like wonder is a is a lane you cruise in a lot mm. um, thank you yeah i wonder is thank you if, if it's a lane if it's a pathway to the world within me and to imagination itself mm -hmm. you know to the greater world i think wonder much like contemplation starts from a humble place of i don't know 
let me wonder, you know, and from the place of not knowing mm. something can fill that, you know, whereas if you know, if you've got a pillar in the ground, if you've got a foundation of your beliefs, not much can kind of get in there, but through wonder, um, you can allow what wants to be revealed to show itself in a new way or, uh, to keep an, a wondrous eye on things, you know, there's that term respect. Yeah, respect to look again. To look again, to re-look at, to yeah. re-see, to re-see. Wonder for that way is also me. It's um, it's uh, endlessly inquisitive. Hmm. Which is the perfect doorway to talk about the great mystery. Yeah. So perfect. I love, I love, um, I love anytime people bring me new capital G great, capital M mm. mystery words, you know, um, things like that. And it's all throughout the book. Um, and I feel like it's an anchoring word for you. It seems like uh, as we talk about wonder and wonder beginning at this idea that I don't know, that you kind of don't have the answer, but then you also arrive at pursuing, living in, walking with the great mystery. Talk to me about what what you would want the reader, whoever's journeying with Keepers of Color, to behold when you talk about the great mystery? Mm. Um, well, again, I think for me, when I was creating the book, I had come from this spiritual practice and the spiritual worldview where I thought I had thought I knew what God was, you know, and God was a very certain way, and it was a, it was a very um, defined way God is this and God is not that hmm. and when that bubble got burst for me um, it you know began my contemplative journey or conscious contemplative journey I'll mm -hmm. say that mm -hmm. and to call it the great mystery again starts from that humble place of like it's great it's wild it's wondrous it's huge but it's also a mystery you know mm -hmm. it start it, it, it naturally humbles me and it also keeps me in check like that I don't know, that I always don't know. There's always an aspect that I won't know. You know, as Father Rohr says, the mystery isn't endlessly unknowable. It's endlessly infinite. knowable. Yeah, infinite infinitely, infinitely, infinitely knowable. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted an access to not knowing. And I wanted to make sure that to learn my lesson, how to, and I also, yeah, I needed to, I heard someone say one time uh, that I thought was really powerful. Uh, and I forget who it was, but they said, um, after someone went through a, you know, a big spiritual journey, they said, maybe you should just not use the word God for like a decade, mm. <laughs> 10 years and however long it takes. And I can still use it. It's, it's, but it's far more synonymous with the great mystery than what I once defined it. You know, mm -hmm. like now it's, and I, I've seen that throughout my whole life mm -hmm. when there's been girlfriends or best friends or bands that I liked or things that I thought were going to be like with me forever or just solid or like this is for sure how could this ever go away and time changes things and life decisions change, changes things that things that I've ever that anything I've ever tried to make solid mm -hmm. has always upended me or always mm -hmm. kind of pulled the, the rug out from underneath me so I just wanted to I mean and what a better way to learn how to fly right to yeah. constantly have that and I think we're in a moment of that right now when every every sort of ounce of solid ground is there's, there's no place to run there's no place to land i mean how else can we learn how to fly or find a place of um unmovable inexhaustible yep. like you know centeredness yep. so the great mystery 
uh, you know, it's not my turn. There's, there's, there's other traditions that have used that, but it resonated the most with yeah. me. Yeah. And I found it as a way to give a name to things that um, both spoke to God, but also just spoke to anything and spoke to life itself. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't um, limited mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, an old man in the sky or any kind of deity or any kind of uh, Zeus and his thunderbolts. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. more like, tell me more about this. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. It's spacious. It, it's very yeah. spacious. Um, it's spacious and, invi and inviting. Right. You know? Right. There is that, that tune of hope that you were talking about. When I, when I say the great mystery, it like, I kind of get jazzed saying, yeah. it. you know, I don't feel yeah, like, yeah. Ooh, who's, am I in or am I out? Am I doing it right or wrong? I, I, I feel, um, free, alive, spacious. You use all those types of words. Yeah, less 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 dogma. You know that the mystery is like mm, I wouldn't get so. Yeah, I wouldn't get so. Don't <laughs> think that this sort of works that way. You know, like it's always, mm, yeah, it's always mysterious. Yeah. I was there's this thing that I like to say was, um, uh, you know, I love puns and and wordplay. So, uh, mystery loves company. Mystery loves company. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. I love it. Um, and I hate giving away the end of the book, so for, forgive me no, no, no. For, for some of this. Sure. Um, but just the idea of you taking us through this journey into the world within and then ending the book with this idea that there actually is no end. Mm -hmm. That this pattern of going inward, the pattern of going through trial finding out who you are, excavating your essence, as some people have said before, um, that this isn't a one-and-done thing, that I, I love how you end the book on almost this invitation of like, hey, and even now that you're here, just know that you got to keep going, that the, that mm -hmm. the flow of this, uh, of journey into yourself, i.e. journey into the great mystery, it never ends. It keeps going. Yeah. There, I mean, a, a symbol I used continuously through the book because it was so coming to me was the yin-yang symbol, yep. as well as the Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its tail, but mm. it's more represented here by the kind of Zen brush strokes, you know, uh, sumi swash, and mm. it's, that's, a, that's just circular. And it speaks to the circular nature rather than the sort of linear nature. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there is no end. I think that even if we do finish any book or a movie or a relationship, life's, you know, life, as long as it's going, keeps going. Yeah. And, you know, I would say that the great traditions even say death isn't, isn't an end as much as a beginning. So, yeah. um, and I've seen, you know, I've had some mystical experiences and peeked behind those veils for a few times and really seen birth and death are, you know, two sides of the same coin. And um, for me, if we speak, if we're to speak about infinite, if we're spe to speak about um, the eternal, then yeah, there's no beginning, there's no end. It's also there's also no beginning. Maybe I should have started the book too. There is no beginning, you know, <laughs> uh, and there's no end. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like I I know that stories, most stories end, kind of Hollywood style, mm -hmm. the end, you know, yeah. and. Um, uh, yeah, you know, again, wordplay, like, instead of the end, the end it's more we should be like, the and. The know? end. Ah, oh, that's good. And. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. good. That could be in a second book for you. The, the, the and. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple, I've got a couple of, that's a great one, I just thought of it right now, too, so I'll put that down. I've got a book that I want to do, 
that's called uh up to no good but like you know k-n-o-w oh up yeah, to yeah, no, yeah up to no good you are, it's you just are a, a wordsmith it's a little word play and my images and you know having it's a little coffee table book of mm-hmm. contemplation i think mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that could be a great one the yeah end. you and Mraz could you could joint venture that one he's he's a wordsmith totally uh, yeah are you, are you are you a fan of his it was one of my wife and i's first dates many moons ago he was playing awesome. playing a little bar in Austin, so uh, a long, long time ago. Um, I love it. Good dude, great, great brother. He's he's uh, he's an amazingly generous soul, and as um, you know, a mystic and a prophet in his own right. So mm. yeah, love it. I love it. So a few things I always ask people when they come on here. Um, one of them is, what's currently keeping you curious? Mm. Uh. I always like to lean into my projects. My projects are, you know, there's a phenomenal book. I, 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 I recommend this book more than my own books called The Great Work of Your Life. And it's yeah. by Stephen Cope. And it's all about Dharma. And it uses the Bhagavad Gita as a, um, as a sort of th- through line through all these cultural figures that we know. So there's Susan B. Anthony, Gandhi, Beethoven, Harriet Tubman, uh, Thoreau, and, and, and others. I just can't think of them all right now. But it, um, and then other people in his own life, the author's own life, and it shows them struggling with their own dharma. Hmm. And one of the, one of the main uh, points he makes is that if you take on your dharma, it will provide its own curriculum, right? So if you answer that sort of call, and so, it, and again, there's, there's a struggle as an artist, a struggle maybe as anybody that that might not be your actual job. It might not pay you, but you have the sort of soul's duty to yep. Yep. Um, answer that call. And we, I believe we all have gifts inside of us. And if you don't bring that gift to the world, the world and people cannot receive it. Hmm. And so for me, I feel really blessed that I'm like constantly getting divine homework, probably because I do it. I do my homework, mm. you know, like when I get ideas, when I get lessons, I act on it most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time I do. The curriculum and shows up. The, you know, they're like, oh, look at this guy, John Morrow. He's doing his homework. All right, what else we got? Give us some more. And the, <laughs> and the more, like the bigger things that I do, like, okay, he can handle it. Let's give him, yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah grad school stuff. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so good. I've always wanted to make, you know, my big opus, at least in my mind, is a film. Hmm. And you know, I thought it was a film until I've watched things like Game of Thrones or the show This Is Us and mm-hmm. seeing how episodic you can really create a much larger movie mm-hmm. or film or mm-hmm. weave characters and everyone can be a protagonist. I've really loved this thought. So mm-hmm. probably be a show, but it's a cinematic event um, using contemplation, like, a, you know, um, using contemplation and and spirituality as well as the real world journeys and so i um i made my short i made my first short film or am making my first short film right now where when i I was living in a farm for the past six months i just moved like a week ago and uh i was like when COVID happened i just stopped i was like hold on a second, when else are we ever going to get a mm-hmm. planetary invitation to Vipassana, yeah. right? Like this is, this is, this is a cosmic planetary event here. Yeah. 
what is this asking of me? Mm-hmm. And that guy, Bayo Komalafe, who I mentioned earlier, has this phrase, this Nigerian phrase that says, the times are urgent, let us slow down. Mm-hmm. And that little paradox of, can I slow down enough to catch up with myself? Can I slow down to tune into what's being asked? And what is this moment? I saw a lot of people just go laterally to Zoom and kind of just try to do business as usual through this digital platform. And it was the first time in my adult life where I just, I took 45 days and did nothing. Mm -hmm. Happened to be on a farm. So I gave myself to the tasks at hand, you know, to the chopping and wood, the carrying the water, to the harvesting, to the weeding, to the, and I, I, didn't create and i saw that sometimes i create out of an anxiety of just to not to feel the extent the existential nothingness i had to be participating the do 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 so i wanted to take myself off that proverbial hamster wheel and i realized that i was living in some version of a someday i'll make a film or someday i'll make this show and hoping that someone would just see my talent and be like what else you got well i've got this idea but i have been coming more and more into this this is, I'll say this delicately, but this notion of there's God and Godhood, Hmm. right? And so this notion of being a sovereign being that through incarnation gets to be a creator and that the gift of consciousness allows us to interact with others and allows to bring worlds within us into this realm. Hmm. And that can be used much like the Star Wars and the Force for good or for evil, you know, for good or for bad. Um, and so, but from a consciousness perspective, it might be neutral. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure if consciousness is leaning one way or the other, (laughs) but I saw that we can make our own meaning. We are gifted with that. Hmm. And that instead of waiting for some salvific savior outside of me, like you want to make a film, do it like here, you've Hmm. got this time. Not only do you have this time right now called COVID where you're in, you you, you know, I think anybody who is saying, I don't have the time. Right now, it's got a lot of time, a lot more yeah. time on their hands yeah. now. And there's certainly underprivileged and marginalized communities where that's not the case. And we're all in this complete upheaval. I want to acknowledge that. So I'll just say what I what I was sort of given, the lemons I was given, I had an opportunity to make lemonade. And so I, yeah, started making this short film and I shot it all. And now I'm beginning to edit and put it together. Beautiful. So that's, I'm following that. And every project that I make teaches me a new lesson. It's a time capsule lesson that I need to know about patience, about mm, craftsmanship. And those are all portals to eternal presence and being as here as as here and now as possible. So following that, and then um, I love children's books. I've been doing those. I did my first one. It's actually separate from the keepers. It's called Holden Hugs the World. I did that and I'm working on a few more right now. But the idea of synthesizing stories and sense-making into uh, palatable enough for, for a child to understand, hmm. uh, knowing that their adults will be reading, like their parents and adults will be reading it to them. Yeah. So you get like you get the teaching and the allegories sort yep. of infused in both people. Yep. Really excites me. And it just has me be able to sense-make and enter my own curiosity as well. So beautiful uh that's that's what i'm following right now yeah give me that quote again the times are urgent the times are urgent let us slow down let us slow down yeah and you can you should google that and that'll lead you probably to his work and i know you'd really like it so just podcast him away and i think you i know you'd like it a lot (laughs) very cool um what advice would you give to your younger self 
how young? Like how 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 much younger self? Uh, any younger self? Yeah, any younger self. You know what I've been saying recently is, um, just go for it. Don't be so afraid. And like you are, um, I, yeah. There's something like as simple as like believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Believe in um, the divinity and goodness in yourself. Yeah. And know, and you can trust yourself with that. And I would say, um, conserve your energy and tell the truth. Beautiful. Love it. Conserve your energy and tell the truth. Oh, man. Um, Well, John, this has been a beautiful conversation. I'm super grateful that we've crossed paths. And um, again, grateful for your work. I'm going to buy a lot of these for everyone in my company. Uh, I think it'll be good for people. Um, If, if some of our listeners today have said, yeah, I'm following the the John Morrow energy as well. And I want to see what he's up to. Where's the best place we can send them to follow what you're doing. Yeah. So my website, which I'm about to revamp as well as probably my Instagram are the two, you know, instantly accessible places. So I'm John Morrow to J O N M A R R O.com. And then I'm just at John Morrow at j-o-n-m-a-r-r-o beautiful will you come join us again sometime can we keep this dialogue going absolutely my brother just ask me when and how and happy to kind of do these little uh you know lessons or we can take we can kind of go through the book and do a page or something or do an exercise each each page is really its own lessons it really is we could go through that if that's a little side thing you want to do i'd be happy to um it'd be helpful for even for me as I'm creating this course. Yeah, to, yeah for sure. I uh, go through it. So you tell me, you tell me how I can show up and I'm, I'm <laughs> happy to be there. Well, we'll do it, man. I'm, uh, I'm super grateful for you, your life and your presence in the world. Keep, uh, keep after it. And, um, I can promise you, we will have your voice here again at the table at good, true and beautiful. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, man. Cheers. So cheers. 